0: Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 11, says this. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering and by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. This Jesus, who is taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Let's pray real Lord, We thank you for your word. Thank you that it's true. Thank you that you have preserved it for us to study. Thank you that you speak through it even now by your Holy Spirit to us. Lord, it is a living word. It is active. It divides between heart and soul. It pierces our hearts with truth, even now. It was applicable when it was written. It is applicable now. We pray that you would apply this message to our lives, challenge us and change us, direct us to desire more of you in our lives. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So Acts, as we've talked about, is uh, really, the second part of uh, of Luke's letter to Theophilus, and Theophilus, as we know from our study of Luke, is um, is a Roman, uh, and he's sort of looking on uh, what's happening in the first century and saying, you know, why is it that uh, that I, as a Gentile, would follow a faith that came from from the Jews, while many of the Jews aren't even accepting this faith, and why? And, and while many of Christians are being persecuted by those around them for their belief. And so that's Theophilus's mindset. And and uh, Luke says to him at the very beginning of his, his first book in, in the Gospel of Luke, he says, this is what he's telling him, why he's written the book in, in Luke chapter 1 verse 4. And he says this, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. His purpose in writing was to give Luke certainty about the things that he's been taught because Theophilus has reason to question um, the things he's been taught based on the way Christians are being treated in this time and so uh, we see that this is the the second book that that Luke writes to Theophilus and um, and in his second book he is detailing uh, a number of things mainly he's detailing the power of the Holy Spirit working through the disciples as they go throughout uh, uh, throughout the nations, really, from Jerusalem, so I want to deal with a couple of things uh, first and then spend the the bulk of our time uh, talking about this concept that's that's uh, uh, that starts out in this section about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and uh, b- baptism with the Holy Spirit uh, throughout the book of Acts, what we see is that the Holy Spirit is at work really this uh, this book could be uh, traditionally, it's called the Acts of the Apostles or the you know, the Twelve Disciples. Um, and it really could be understood as the, the Acts of the Holy Spirit working through the disciples to proclaim forgiveness and repentance to the nations. That would be a long title, but uh, but really the emphasis of the book is on the Holy Spirit's work in these fishermen and tax collectors that have been transformed by the sacrifice of Christ and uh, the move of his Spirit within them. So first, uh, one of the things that we see in this particular passage is that uh, Christ is going to return. At uh, At the very end of this uh, passage, we see that Jesus is taken up into a cloud, and as the disciples are standing there watching, uh, two angels appear, which, you know, from from our reading of Luke, we know that he... Uh, has frequently shared about when angels have come to the scene. This is an important thing to him. And so he, uh, he says, these two men stand by with white robes and say, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way that you saw him go, uh, that you saw him go into heaven. So there's a promise to these disciples that As you're seeing Jesus go, this one that you have trusted in and and put your faith in for these past three years, he is going away, but he is going to come back. The point here is that uh, Christ will return someday, that he has given a mission to these disciples, which we'll talk about a little bit more in a moment. He has given a mission to them, but he has promised that he is going to come back at the proper time. We saw this a lot, actually, through the Gospel of Luke, and, and Matthew speaks of this as, as well, that, uh, that our time isn't guaranteed to us, that, uh, that there is a time when Christ will come back. And in Matthew 24, verse 36, it says, But concerning that day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. There's a time when Christ will return. We're not given the time or the hour. Just given the promise that He is going to return. As I was thinking about this, it, it uh, um, you know I, I follow a number of people on Twitter, and one of the guys that I follow is Donald Miller, and uh, a quote of his came across, and it said this: He said, "Treat all of life like a near-death experience, because that's what it is." What I get from this idea that uh, that Christ is coming back, and we don't know the time or the hour is that we need to treat life like it's a near-death experience. Treat it with urgency. Treat it with purpose. Look at our lives and say, there is a reason that I am where I am. There's a reason that I have things that God has called me to do. And to not put those things off, but to do them, to put our hands to the plow of what God has called us to accomplish. And the second thing he, uh, that I want to point out is that uh, that exact thing that, that God has given us to do, and we talked about it a little bit last week that we've been given a mission in the church we've been given a mission from Luke's recording that we're to proclaim repentance and forgiveness in Jesus name to all the nations that's what Jesus left to the disciples that truth and we revisit that today in in uh this uh, this passage we see it in uh starting in in verse 8 or verse 6 really the, the disciples are asking uh, they'd come together and they say, Lord, is, is this the time that you're going to restore Israel when, when the Spirit comes? And, and Jesus says to them, he says, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons of the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is really sort of a, an outline for the rest of our time in acts because what we see in Acts is that uh, that the disciples start in Jerusalem and they begin to branch out to uh, the surrounding area in Judea and Samaria, and then in Paul's missionary journeys we see him going to the ends of of uh, the Mediterranean, which to them was the ends of the earth at that point. And so uh, this this uh, this promise that is given to them they will be the witnesses. Sort of an outline for the rest of our time in Acts, but it gives us a an understanding that every Christian should have this concern. That for every Christian, it is our desire, our concern that Christ be made known in, uh, in three geographies of our understanding. And this really speaks to why we spend time praying for uh, another, another church as well as another country uh, each time we meet together. From this, we see that they're first to go to Jerusalem. That's their local area. That's where they were. So for us here, that is, we're to go to Clearwater, our area. The next he says they're to go to Judea and Samaria. That's the surrounding areas around them. That's the rest of Israel. So uh, we should have a concern, a desire, a, a, a compassion for our nation and praying for our nation and, and for our surrounding region. And finally, he says to go to the ends of the earth. So we should have a concern and a desire to uh, be partnering with those that are going to the nations. Any church, any Christian ought to be concerned with thinking about, praying for, um, investing in somehow this work on these three levels, recognizing that it's not about me and, and what I'm doing alone, but that the global mission of God is is that, a global mission in all parts of our world and uh, all parts of our city and all parts of our region and all parts of our world, God is at work. We ought to have a concern for Christ being known in those places. What we see in the book of Acts is is simply that we see uh, the church's mission, we see their community with one another, and we see chiefly the power of the Holy Spirit at work in their lives. And so, I uh, just want to spend some time talking about this uh, this promise that was given to the disciples. We touched on it some, even last week, as we were talking about the mission. Um, as, as Christ promised that, these disciples would be given power, given a promise from the Father, which is the Holy Spirit. And we see it again uh, in a couple of places here in our passage tonight. In verse 4, it says, Uh, While staying with them, he ordered them not to depart Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which is the Holy Spirit. As he explains further, he says, For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then again, as I just read in in verse 8, we see, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So this uh, this idea is that um, the Holy Spirit, the, the very presence of God, makes His presence known, makes His presence inside of us. And so uh, there's a number of questions that we'll walk through. But um, the first one is, who is the Holy Spirit? And oftentimes, he is uh, the forgotten member of the Trinity. But he is no less God than Christ. He is no less God than the Father. There is no order of importance in the Trinity. God, the Son, and the Spirit are equal. They are in complete unity with one another. And so when we think about the Holy Spirit, we shouldn't think of him as, uh, well, uh, you know, just some being that we can't understand. No, he is the very presence of God living in us if we have given our faith to Christ. So, the question is, how does the Holy Spirit come in our lives? And many times throughout the Old Testament, we see that the, the Spirit of God came on te- people in various ways. So he'd, he would be with, he was, uh, the best example of this is when he was with Saul, and then he left Saul and went to David. And so we see the Spirit sort of going to uh, various people at different times. He wasn't living inside of all of uh, the people of uh, God's people at that time. And Jeremiah promises that the, in the New Covenant that he would uh, write his his law upon our hearts and it's a foreshadowing of of the Spirit being inside of us. So what we see in the New Testament is that uh, we have this promise as Christ has promised to the disciples that the Holy Spirit will come inside of us. And we see that also uh, that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us in, in 1 Corinthians 6. It says this, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. As a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. God's purpose and all that he does is to bring glory unto himself. He is the only being that is able to do that. If we were to try and do that for ourselves... Uh, we would be basically uh, selfish, self-centered, and, and uh, uh, we wouldn't live up to the claims we would make of ourselves. But God is omnipotent, all-powerful, He's loving and good and holy and true. So He's worthy of all worship. And so His purpose and all that He does is to bring glory to Himself. And He is right in doing so. So what we see as we uh, come to Jesus is that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, that we might in our lives give glory to God. It's really an amazing thing that uh, 1 Corinthians 6 would call us a temple of the Holy Spirit. Again, we've just said that the Holy Spirit is God. He is no less than the Son. He is no less than the Father. They are in complete unity. And the Holy Spirit resides within us. The way that Jesus describes the disciples is that the Holy Spirit is accompanied by power. And that's the testimony that we see throughout the book of Acts is that the Holy Spirit is working in power through the disciples, doing things in them that they could not do by themselves, that they could not do in their own strength that only can be explained by the very presence of God being living within them. The things they knew, the things they did, the miracles they performed could only be done by the presence of God working in them. See, we look at, as we study the book of Acts, we um, will certainly be challenged by a, a disconnect between the way that they were operating in this time and the way that we see church in our time. See, typically, um, and I want to be careful not not to be judgmental in saying this because I'm just as guilty of this as as anybody. But typically, um, and I'm at fault of this, that uh, we see Christianity in this way. We see it as Father and Son and whatever I want to do with my life. And that's not Christianity. Christianity is, I'm going to explain a little further, is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit directing my steps that is Christianity. Not giving myself over to my own desires, but following the Spirit and His desires for my life. That is Christianity. This is an amazing thing that, uh, that the Spirit would reside in us, it, um, in each of us as believers, because it, it gets us away from this, uh, this idea that we have in Christianity that some believers are, are better than others. By their holiness or by the calling that God has given them or whatever, and um, this is something that both pastors and uh, and non pastors I guess is the best way I want to say it is uh, are, are guilty of creating this perception, but the fact is that every person that has placed their faith in Christ Jesus has the presence of God living in them through the Holy Spirit there is a priesthood of all believers. The presence of God is in each of us as we place our faith in Christ Jesus. There is no uh, hierarchy of, of, of holiness. As we've studied and I've said many times, um, in Christ we are the righteousness of God. When we place our faith in Him, His righteousness becomes our righteousness 1 Corinthians 5.21 says this, and I'll say it again later, but it says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's why the Holy Spirit, that's why God can live inside us once we've given ourselves over to Christ, once we've placed our faith in him. So we need to reorient our perception of uh, some are holier than others, it's not a hierarchy in the kingdom of God. The way I see it as, uh, as, as a pastor speaking about this topic is that um, we are all, as Christians, priests. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. We, we give worship to God through our lives. Through all that God has called us to do individually in the various places that he's called us to, we worship God with our lives. We are made righteous in, Christ, righteous in Christ, and so we can glorify God in all that we do. And in the temple period, there were, uh, there were both priests as well as temple servants. And so what I see, you know, pastors or those who are called to a ministry of the word or, or full-time vocational ministry or uh, whatever you want to call it, is that we're simply temple servants. My role as a as a pastor is to study the word, to pray over the word, and to declare it to our city, and to declare it to the church that you might be edified and built up, that the temple might be edified and built up, that you can so that you can better glorify God in your lives. It doesn't make me uh, holier or or on a pedestal. It's just a, it's just a different calling. So we ought to we ought to wrestle with that and, uh, and pastors need to wrestle with that and uh, non-pastors, I don't like the word lay, lay person, but uh, non-pastors ought to wrestle with that as well, that we not put someone on a pedestal higher than they ought to be. That We ought not see Christianity as a hierarchy of some that are holier than others. We all come to the Lord as sinners saved by grace. We are all represent, represented as the righteousness of God as we place our faith in Christ Jesus. So we see this disconnect between uh, what we see in Acts and and today, and uh, like I said, the the difference is, I think, our understanding of how the Holy Spirit works in our lives. So we want to talk a little bit about what baptism with the Holy Spirit looks like in the book of Acts, and um, there are a few things that I want to point out about it, there are a number of passages that we'll look at in detail as we come across them later, but I want to briefly go over them now as we talk about this topic. And the first is that uh, baptism is, is in, in Acts, as we see it, is distinct from baptism uh, under John. In Acts 19, verses 2 to 6, uh, we see this. It says uh, some leaders come to a, a group of believers and say, did you, not, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. And on hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began to speak in tongues and prophesy. So first we see that there's a distinction between the baptism we learned about at the beginning of Luke, the baptism of repentance preached by John the the Baptist. John the Baptist preached that component of, uh, of our relationship with God that is really focused on the Father, about recognizing the holiness of the Father, repenting for what we've done. And the thing that John says to people as he baptizes them is that they should go and sin no more. They should go and and not take advantage of others, and not take advantage of their position to increase their their, their power. He says, go and sin no more. And so, John's baptism is a baptism simply of repentance. And what we learned at the end of Luke was that Jesus called the disciples to preach, to proclaim both repentance, which is what John was preaching, but also forgiveness. So, John was preaching repentance, which focuses on the Father, and then Jesus comes, and now He gives the disciples a mission to preach both repentance and forgiveness because He bought it on the cross for us. He made us righteous in that, and now Jesus has also promised that the Spirit is going to come. So the first thing that we see is that the baptism in the Lord Jesus in Jesus is uh, is distinct from John's baptism. And the Holy Spirit is connected with Christ, baptism in Christ. Second thing is that baptism is always connected with the Holy Spirit as we see it throughout the book of Acts. Every time we see baptism, we see the Holy Spirit showing up in the book of Acts. And uh, we see this in uh, Acts uh, chapter 8, verses 14 to 17. It says, Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So the baptism Every time baptism shows up in Acts, we see the Holy Spirit coming either before or after. There isn't really a pattern that we can nail down. Sometimes the Holy Spirit comes on people before they're baptized. Sometimes it comes afterwards. I think that goes to uh, what we've talked about baptism in the past, is that it's a symbol of our commitment to Christ. It's not a salvific act. It's a symbol of our faith in Christ. So it's always connected to the Holy Spirit. last thing I want to point out about baptism as we see it in the Holy Spirit is that there's no pattern shown for baptism with the Holy Spirit except for our desire for it. And we'll look at Acts 10, verses 44 to 48. It says, While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out on the Gentiles, for they were hearing them speak in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? He commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. There's no pattern for it. Sometimes the Holy Spirit falls on people before they've been baptized in water. Sometimes he falls on them after. Sometimes he falls on them right at the same time. There's no pattern to follow on it. It's simply a desire that should be in us, that the Spirit take over all that we are. Galatians five sixteen to 17 says this, it says, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. We are called to desire the things of the Spirit, to give our lives over to the Spirit. Again, earlier I mentioned that so much of Christianity, so much of our uh, understanding of Christianity is focused on simply the Father and the Son and not the Holy Spirit. So oftentimes when we're, when we're baptized into the Lord, we're baptized, yes, in, in repentance, recognizing God's holiness and, and to forgiveness, seeing Jesus work in our lives but we don't give over our whole selves to God, which is the Holy Spirit's work in us. Giving our entire life over to him. See, the father, um, in, in, uh, in Matthew, as he's declaring the great commission to the disciples, he says this statement to the disciples. He says, now go therefore making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. Again, so often we, I think, are uh, only seeing baptism as one of in the name of the Father and in the name of the Son. And we need to see that baptism is in the name of the whole Trinity, including the Holy Spirit, that he would fall upon us. Again, baptism in the name of the Father is is like what John presented in his baptism. Just a baptism of repentance, acknowledging our lacking position in regard to God's standard of repentance holiness romans 2 4 says this is connected to that it says do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience not knowing that it's god's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance as we see the character of god we should desire to repent and that is baptism in the name of the father we desire repentance in our lives and that's what John preached in his baptism. But Jesus came and he's, he's given us even more than that. Not just repentance, but also forgiveness. Baptism in the name of the Son is that we accept the forgiveness bought for us on the cross by Jesus Christ. Just as I read earlier in 2 Corinthians 5.21, again it says, For our sake he made him who, who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Baptism in the name of the Father and in the name of the Son is both for repentance and for forgiveness. So then again, the question is, what then is baptism with the Holy Spirit in the name of the Holy Spirit? And I believe it's a continual surrender of our entire life to the Holy Spirit's direction in our lives. There are a number of verses that that hang from the presence of the Spirit in our lives, and uh, the first one is that uh, the first thing is that our baptism in the, in the Holy Spirit is evidenced by both fruit and gifting in our lives. And so we see this in Galatians five verses twenty two to twenty three that fruit should come from our baptism in the Spirit. It says this in Galatians five twenty two to twenty three. The fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of our baptism in the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. I don't know about you, but I haven't come to a, a full realization of those attributes in my life. As I continually give myself over to the Holy Spirit's desire for me, those things increase. We should see those things increase in our lives as we give ourselves over to the desire of the Holy Spirit, the desire of the Spirit in our lives. We should see an increase of love, of joy, of peace, of patience, of kindness, of goodness, of faithfulness, of gentleness, of self-control. That is the fruit of the Spirit's work in our lives. And not only do we see fruit from the work of the Spirit in our lives, we also see the gifts of the Spirit given to us. We see this in 1 Corinthians 12 as well as Romans 12. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 uh, to 11. I'm, I'm going to turn over there real quick. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 and following says this, Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are a variety of service, but the same Lord, To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, interpretation of tongues. All these empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. The presence of the Spirit in our lives is, is evidenced by these gifts in our lives. fact is what we see in First uh, 1 Corinthians 14.1 is that we ought to desire the increase of gifts in our lives. First 1 Corinthians 14.1 says, pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Earnestly desire them. Baptism with the Spirit is that we would give over all of our lives to the Lord, An evidence of His presence in us is both fruit and His gifting. The way that we receive baptism with the Holy Spirit is to earnestly desire the Spirit's increase in our lives, the increase of His presence in our lives. For some, that experience of desiring the Spirit's presence in our lives to a greater extent is uh, is seen in a, in a miraculous event. If you talk to uh, many that have been baptized with the Holy Spirit, they will point to a, a significant event in their life where, where they were walking along and then all of a sudden they were just hit with the Spirit of God in their life, poured out in a greater way. I've talked to some who were uh, running on the beach and the Lord hit them with the Holy Spirit. I've seen uh, some where they were just watching a football game. Uh, someone... Someone in our fellowship had this experience. They're they're watching a football game and and the Spirit just fell on them. Sometimes the Spirit comes in a miraculous way. I know another guy, though, who never can point to it. He can't point to an event in his life where he said, I received the Holy Spirit at that point. For him, it was a gradual increase of the Spirit's presence in his life. The testimony we see in Acts is that, that as people are baptized, They're receiving the Holy Spirit either before or after or at the time of their baptism. We see it connected with baptism. I think it's connected to that because baptism is about uh, completely covering, completely immersing ourselves in something. We are immersed with the need for repentance. We are immersed with. God's forgiveness in Christ Jesus and become righteous as a result. We are immersed in the Spirit and our lives are all of our lives are given over to him every minute of every day given over to the glory of God as he's worshiped through us his temple by the Holy Spirit working in us. So what is the takeaway from this? The takeaway from this message about baptism of the Holy Spirit is that we need to desire the Spirit's work in our lives. God, works, God worked mightily in the church in the book of Acts because the power of the Holy Spirit was at work in the disciples. And if we expect to see the work of God, the proclamation of His gospel of repentance and forgiveness go forth in clear water, we are completely dependent upon the Holy Spirit showing up in our lives and working in power. Acts is a record of the proclamation of repentance and forgiveness by the disciples through the power of the Holy Spirit. Just to review, our, the return of Christ is it's imminent. He will come back in a cloud, just like we talked about at the beginning. And we're not sure of the hour or the time. And our mission is simple, but it's impossible without God's power. So we ought to earnestly desire the Holy Spirit to pour out His gifts on us so that we can accomplish all that He has laid out for us to do. 1 Corinthians 4.20 speaks of the kingdom of God and it says this, The kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. The advance of the kingdom of God will only be accomplished by the Holy Spirit's power at work within us. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your work in our lives. We repent, Lord, before your holiness. We recognize that we are wretched, that our sin is so, so disgusting. And we are in need of cleansing, each and every one of us. And God, we thank you for Jesus. He is our only hope. Without Him, we have just been ceremonially washed and are still relying on our works to bring us salvation. But because of Christ, we have forgiveness we are washed completely. We stand before God as the righteousness of God. And Lord God, forgive us because we stop there so often. We repent and we, we take your forgiveness, but we look at life as, we look at Christ as just a, a get out of hell free card. We say, I'll take the Father and the Son and I'll just do whatever I want. But first of all, thank you that you accept that. But Lord, we pray that you would increase in us a desire for your Holy Spirit to take over our lives, to take over all that we are. Lord, help us to recognize that we are the temple of God, that you have taken up residence within us. That is not just words, that is the power of God at work in our lives. He's directing each of our steps, showing us what it is we are to do each and every day. God, for your glory, that your name would be praised in all the nations, we proclaim repentance and forgiveness and forgiveness. In the name of Jesus, and we surrender ourselves to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We worship you now because you are worthy. Thank you, God. It is in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.